Hello and welcome back to the Garden Weekly Bible Study through the book of Hebrews. This is week number three. We are on chapter one, verses two, the second half of two, and verse three. So we did a verse and a half last week and we're going to do a verse and a half today. I'm Joel Fisher and let's dive right in. So as we've seen, the introduction to the book of Hebrews is like any good sermon a powerful introduction. It's one long, beautiful Greek sentence uh, in the original Greek, and I'm going to read it for you again so that we can orientate ourselves on where we are. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And this week we will be looking at, as I said, the second half of verse 2 and verse 3, which I will just read for you here uh, for our podcast listeners. His son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Well, there's a lot in there. It is dense, it is beautiful, and it is probably confusing. I know it sure was for me the first time that I read it, and it took a lot of study and a lot of reading and rereading to be able to parse it out, and I hope to share some of that with you today. As I said, my name is Joel Fisher. I am a defender of Christianity and a student of Scripture, and I'm here to help you go deeper in your faith by walking through Scripture with you. The Garden Weekly is a weekly newsletter and a ministry helping you to find Christian videos, podcasts, and articles that will deepen your understanding of Scripture, God, and the world around us and how we should relate to it. If you'd like to subscribe to the newsletter, you can go to thegardenweekly.com or look for the sign-up link in the description of the video. And if you enjoy this video, I hope that you'll hit the thumbs up, the subscribe button, and the bell you know the full drill. Well, let's dive in, shall we? So, after a bit of work and thought, I decided to cut the last verse off of the introduction here. We'll look at it next week along with verse 5 and 6, hopefully. Most likely, I haven't fully done the study yet, and if it grows too long, we'll have to shorten it. But I think that it will go well with those verses. So, I want to... And there's another reason why I think that we should look only at these two verses, because there's a very important literary structure to these verses. So we have a chiastic structure, we call it. It's a common Jewish literary style way of writing that goes through, that goes down through several different arguments or points, and then back out the way that it came. 
So as you can see here, there's an A, B, C point, and then he repeats C with another argument related to the original, and then back out to B, and then back out to A. So we have A son, A, who, whom God appointed heir of all things, B, through whom also God created the world, C, he is the radiance of the glory of God, C, and the exact imprint of God's nature. Sorry for that slash in that uh, for our video users there. B, and the sun upholds the universe by the word of the sun's power. A, after making purification for sins, the sun sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So you should be able to see, hopefully, how these two... Let me grab my pen how these two A's relate. God appointed the heir of all things, and then God, and then the son sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That one's probably the most abstract, but they are connected. The appointed heir sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high. Um, those are connected, and we'll see those. And then we have, let me grab a different pen here. B, God created the world, and then the sun uphold uh, through whom, sorry, so the sun was the agent of creation of the world, and then the sun upholds the universe by the word of the sun's power, both clearly related to creation. And then lastly, we have C. Ooh, that's a tough one to see. Sorry, uh, my highlighter there. He is the radiance of the glory of God, and C again, the exact imprint of God's nature. And we'll get into what that means. So, A, we're going to start with here. And just to remind our podcast listeners who can't see the screen, that is whom God appointed heir of all things. And after making purification for sins, the son sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So I've titled this section, Jesus is the appointed heir. According to the author of Hebrews, God appointed Jesus to be the heir of all things. All things means all all of creation. In other words, everything outside of God himself. After Jesus made purification for sins through his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, he sat down at the right hand of God in the heavenly throne room. And this is not new theology. The Hebrew scriptures prophesy about a true human one who will inherit all things on behalf of mankind. So we're going to do a quick tour through the Hebrew scriptures to see that. We see, starting in Genesis, chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. This is the first mention of rulership or dominion. It says, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the second dominion or rulership language is in verse 26 of the same chapter. Then God said, let 
us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So two groups are given rulership and dominion, the lights in the heavens and the humans on the earth. A variety of passages in scripture link the stars with heavenly beings. For example, Job chapter 38 here says, On what were its bases sunk? This is God talking about the earth. Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now we can see that literary, literarily, oh boy, Literarily, the first two lines are connected, and the second two lines are connected. On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone? The second one is another explanation of the first. This is common in Hebrew poetry. So, when we have when the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy, those aren't two different groups. The morning stars and the sons of God. They are, in fact, the same group that's being talked about here just in two different ways. Um, There are a number of other passages here. Isaiah 14, um, and then we can go to the New Testament as another example. This is Jude. He says, we're just breaking right into a thought here. Wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom... The gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Now, that for whom is referring to that wandering stars. So the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever is a reference, of course, to the lake of fire, to hell, utter darkness, for the wandering stars. That's very interesting language. I think that that's probably referring back to Genesis 6 based on the rest of Jude, as well as Second Peter, which is very closely related. I think that it's related to the sons of God who fell in Genesis 6, who sinned. We also have other passages in the New Testament, Revelation 12, 3 to 4, and 6 to 9, for example, also refer to stars as angelic beings. So I'm just trying to show you real briefly that star language in Genesis is used elsewhere in the Hebrew Bible. And in Genesis there, it's used in a rulership dominion way, is used elsewhere in the Hebrew Bible to refer to heavenly beings, sons of God directly in Job 38, um, and so forth. But as we also saw in the last study, and if you haven't seen it, I would encourage you to watch it, um, the heavenly sons of God failed in their duty to reign well. Genesis 6, Psalm 82, and so forth. And we already know that humans failed in their duty to reign. Genesis 3, Genesis 6, Genesis 11, and the entire rest of human history. So humans have definitely failed. But Hebrew prophecy has foreseen, for example, in Daniel 7, a human from the line of David who would inherit all of creation, who would do what humans failed to do. And I'm going to read it here. This is Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And that word, son of man, I'm just drawing my screen here, son of man, 
just means a human one. There came one that looked like a human. And he came to the Ancient of Days, God the Father, and was presented before him. And to him, the son, the one who looks like a human, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all people, nations and languages, should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is just one example of a recurring theme. A human will, from the line of David, will come to be glorified with glory that only God is due. And we're going to see more examples of this as we go um, through the book of Hebrews in chapters 1 and 2 especially. And this human is going to inherit all of creation, heaven and earth, because he is the son of God, divine being, and the true human one, the one who can inherit that which was given dominion to the heavenly powers and to the earthly powers. And Jesus drew on this prophecy with his favorite way of talking about himself as the Son of Man. He is directly relating himself to this one who looks like a human and will be given all things. So the right hand of God is a place of honor and co-rulership. And Jesus took that place of honor upon himself when he called himself the Son of Man. The author of Hebrews almost quotes Jesus' own words at his trial before the Jewish authorities in Mark chapter 14, verse 62, where Jesus says, You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And of course, in that book of Hebrews, um, the author writes, The Son sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is saying, I'm going to the right hand, coming on the clouds of heaven, I am that Son of God, that Son of Man, who will inherit all things, and the author to Hebrews is saying, and he has in fact sat down at the right hand. He has inherited all things. We don't see the full reality of that yet, but he, it's all his now. All right, so B, we're moving on. That was A. Now we're moving on to B, through whom also God created the world, and B number two, and the Son upholds the universe by the word of the Son's power. Of course, this brings us to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things, all of creation, everything that is not God was made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. If there was a thing that was made, Jesus was involved. Interesting. One mark of a splinter religion of Christianity is to deny that Jesus is God. And one way that they try to claim that Jesus is not God is by claiming that Jesus was created and that God used Jesus to create everything else. That's how they try to get around verses like this. But this is a misunderstanding of the Hebrew for the world and the universe, right? These terms are all-inclusive. Everything that is not God, that's why I've said it several times now and I'll continue to say it, everything that is not God is a part of all things, all of creation. God created everything that was created through the Son. That's what John is saying here explicitly. How can Jesus be a 
part of creation, the first thing that was created, and then everything else was created through him. But here, it's an explicit saying. All things, right? All creation. If Jesus is a part of creation, then he must have created himself. But that's not possible. Jesus is not, in fact, a part of creation. That's what the author of Hebrews and the author of John, what John, are saying here. Jesus is not just any son of God. Jesus is not just any divine being. Paul is right on the same page. Colossians 1.17, the son is before all things, all of creation. The son was before him, it, and in him all things hold together. That's exactly like the second part of our Hebrews um, num- uh, letter B there. So in letter A, we saw that Jesus is the inheritor of heaven and earth. He is the true human one and the true heavenly son of God who is worthy of rule. In this section, we see that Jesus was intimately involved in the creation of heaven and earth, everything. Jesus is creator. Jesus is inheritor. In Romans chapter 11, verse 36, Paul writes, For from God, him, and through him, God, and to him, God, are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. All of creation comes from God. All of creation is sustained by God. All of creation um, is saved. (laughs) Salvation comes to creation through the actions of God. And all of creation is inherited back to God. So once again, just as in letter A and letter B, the author of Hebrews is showing us that Jesus, this son of God, is not merely a human, and he is not merely any old son of God, but he is in fact God. He is not the Father, but he is God. Now we move to letter C. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. Two direct statements. The heart of this chiasm, we went A, B, C, now we're in the very heart of it. We have two direct statements on the nature of this sun. So, to understand what does the radiance of the glory of God mean? The sun is the radiance of the glory of God. First, we have to understand what glory means, to understand what the sun is radiating. Um, So, the Faith Life Study Bible defines it this way. A state of being bright, radiant, or magnificent. Honor or majesty. God's glory is a state of being bright, radiant, or magnificent, honor, or majesty. It's closely connected to brightness and light emanating from God. And you can see this in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, and in Revelation 21, verse 23. So this helps us make sense of the word radiance. As the Father is a brilliant light in all of his glory, so is the Son the very rays of light that emanate from him. We shouldn't try to pull too much from the metaphor, right? In that there, the Son is literally like rays of light, or, you know, compared to the Son, to the Father's brightness. Don't try to pull too much from it. 
I think that what the author is just trying to say is this. The son is not the father, but the son is God. He is intimately tied to the father in a unique way that is unlike anything else in creation. Let's move to the second statement here. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. That's our second statement of C here. Again, I want to work in reverse order. What is God's nature? And then we can understand what it means for the son to be the exact imprint of it. God's nature is his very essence or substance. It is what makes God, God. This son is the exact imprint or stamp or representation of the father's nature. I found all of those in different translations of this verse. And all that I think that the author is trying to say here is as closely as um, the imprint of a stamp is related to the stamp itself, so is the son's nature related to the father's nature. Um, This is related to Paul's use of the image language in his writings. For example, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Um, and also in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Romans 8, 29, and so forth. Again, I don't want to take this metaphor too far. We can take it too far into the Son being different or in the Son being identical to the Father. Neither of those are correct. The author of Hebrews is again trying to point out that the Son is not the Father, but he is intimately and uniquely tied to him in a in a way that is difficult to understand. He is God, but he is not the Father. I think that that's what the author of Hebrews is trying to get across here. The Son of God, this Son of God, is unique. There is none other like him. No angel can be can have this set of him. No angel is the exact imprint of the nature of the Father. No angel is the radiance of God's glory. No son, no other son of God is either. Jesus, this son of God that we are talking about here, is. He is not the Father. He is intimately and uniquely tied to him. Their natures are intertwined together in a way that is not like create, creator and creation. Let me say that again. Their natures are intertwined in a way that is not like creator and creation. So let's recap what we've learned about this son from verse two. Number one from letter A, the son is uniquely worthy to inherit rulership of all creation. Everything apart from God, this this son is worthy to inherit rulership of it. Number two, from letter B, the Son is creator and sustainer of the universe. Everything that is apart from God, the Son was involved in its creation and sustaining. Number three, from letter C, the Son's core identity is uniquely intertwined with the Father's. So the Nicene Creed, which was written around 325 A.D., 1700 years ago, wrote, 
these church fathers wrote that Jesus is very God of very God, one substance with the Father. The author of Hebrews has introduced us to a son that reveals the Father. Now he has shown in three different ways that this son is not like other angelic beings. The son is creator and sustainer. The son is the worthy inheritor. And the son, the son's very essence and being is exactly like the father's. The son is God. The Garden Weekly is a weekly newsletter and a ministry helping you to find Christian videos, podcasts, and articles that will deepen your understanding of scripture, God, and the world around us. I hope that you will subscribe if you're interested. Again, thank you for watching. Allow me to close us in prayer. Father God, we thank you that you are vastly unlike us. You reveal yourself in three persons, one being in three persons, and we thank you, Lord, for what we have learned about this son, this son who came to earth and died for us, born of a virgin, lived a life on earth, and has suffered through what we suffer, is tempted like us, so that you can understand what it is like to be us, and then you died for us when we did not deserve it. We thank you for who you are, for the love and grace that you have revealed to your creation. I pray for every listener of my voice, that if they do not know you, that they would come to know you, bring people into their path, reveal yourself to them, that they would throw themselves at your feet and grant you lordship of their lives. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three in one God. Amen. I'll see you all next week. Thank you for being here with me today.